Welcome. This is jazz, just the way we like it. My name is Alfonso Severos, and this is our weekly jazz podcast recorded live at Brick Arts in downtown Brooklyn, the People's Republic of Brooklyn. We play those classic jazz songs from the 1950s, 1960s, 1970s, and here and then, here and now, a few of the modern songs. We also include topics, current events, and a little politics to keep it interesting. I'm in the studio with my co-host, Lawrence Williams. Hey, Larry. Hey, what's up, man? How you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? Okay, okay, okay. Great. Good. Another week, man. It's this month. We're already halfway through uh, December. Yeah, the year is almost over, man. Another two weeks and the year is over. I know, I know, it man. It went fast, man. To me, I mean, it just, you know, as I get older, it seems like time is flying by. I know. It's it's always like that when you get older because you're, you're, you're much more conscious of, conscious of time. When you're younger, you pay it no mind, so it seems like to stretch out. I remember when the summers used to seem endless. Yeah. Now they just fly by like every other month, man. Yeah. Well... That's one of the uh, ups and downs of passing, let's just say, 50 to keep it nice. Um, all right, man. This is uh, our jazz podcast. You know, we try to introduce a younger generation to this fabulous American art form and also play some classic songs that many of us listen to as young, young men and young women in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, man and 80s. Uh, we always have a tradition in this podcast to start it off with a song that somehow addresses the issue of social justice, uh, the issues of human rights, humanity, things of this nature, and uh, from a global perspective. And we're going to, of course, today start this podcast off with a song that addresses uh, social justice. But the whole podcast is going to be about jazz pieces that address the issue of social justice. So let's start things off with a piece by um, Roberta Flack in her very first album called First Take. You know, Roberta Flack is a Howard woman, Howard University. I I didn't realize that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And this is her first album. You know, she's interesting. Her first album was called First Take, and her second album was called Second Take. Yeah. Uh, So this is a song from First Take with Roberta Flack uh, called Trying Times. Trying Times. Thank you. 
Roberta Flack, Trying Times. Man, it was true then and it's true today. 
Uh, how'd you like that piece, Larry? Oh, I love Roberta, man. She's always been like uh, when I first started collecting, was one of the uh, you know first female artists that I really got into. Uh, besides, uh, Barbie Humphrey was another one, but uh, she has. I mean, this particular uh, set was like a quartet with her voice being the fourth part of it. Uh, the drum and the bass and her on the piano. And she plays such a great piano. Oh, yeah, she's skilled. Uh, she was skilled. Uh, she's very skilled. And I really, I, I really enjoy I just, yeah. I was just getting in the, into it. I really, yeah. I like these, this headset because I can get deep into yeah. it. Yeah. And that driving bass, that was Ron Carter. Oh, I did. Oh, yeah. Wow. Oh, man. He was on that first album. Okay. Uh, and and this this is definitely an album that makes a a, a, a social statement, um, and the album's fifty years old. Yeah, but it's also true today. Yeah, yeah, and it's to me it's it's a classic. Oh, it is. That, yeah. Every song on that album, first take, is 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 a winner. Yeah, yeah. Every 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 last song is a winner, um, and she had a lot to say. You know, and it was true then, and it's and it's true today. We, you know, maybe some of the issues change, but uh, the, the the challenge of it is still here. You know, that brings us to to a, uh, an issue that that New York City and the country is facing, and to some extent, the world, the issue of homelessness and mentally ill, and the mentally ill, uh, mentally challenged. Excuse me, uh, our mayor Adams is instituting or have instituted a policy whereby it, it empowers the police and of course EMS to pick up mentally ill people on the street who are more, the policy always been, if a person's a threat to themselves and, and others, then we can pick them up against their will and take them off the street. Now the policy is if a person is showing signs of a severe mental illness, that the police and EMS will pick them up, take them off the street. Uh, a lot of the advocates for the mentally challenged population says that this violates their rights and that the police department is not trained to handle these kinds of things, for one, and for the mayor to introduce this policy citywide in which he's doing uh, to try and clean up the streets, that they will overload the current hospital system because structures are not in place for beds and services. But still, that does not deter the mayor. Uh, he's going to introduce this policy, and he's going to basically forcibly remove these people who have you know, pretty severe mental health concerns and issues off the streets of New York. Larry, do you agree? Disagree? Uh, <clears throat> this, I mean, it's. I don't think it's uh, a black and white situation. No, I think, no, I think no it, nothing to do with race. No, no, I mean, but I mean, by black and white, I mean a right or wrong situation. Mm -hmm. I think that what 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 I think that uh, um, what can happen on uh, what I'm fearful of, and I guess what they're fearful of, is people who are untrained. Uh, can arbitrarily pick somebody up off the street and uh, subject them to 72 hours of, uh, you know, being evaluated when, in yeah. fact, they may not need that. Then again, uh, 
you can observe, you know, you and I can observe certain things that happen when we're on the subway or when we're walking in the street where people are talking to themselves, where people are doing things that are, you know, that are dangerous both to themselves and to other folks. You got people out here just pushing people on the train. You got people out here smacking people up against the head for no reason whatsoever other than I saw you. So I think for the safety or for us feeling safe as a citizen of New York City, it's not a bad idea. If you think of long, if you think of it in terms of uh, trying to keep us safe, but that's not, but in terms of the rights, we're taking away somebody's rights. We're, we're definitely taking away somebody's rights. But it's whether or not we want to be safe, or we want to, our, you know, our keep our person's rights and 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 um, in question whether or not that that's more yeah. important. Yeah, there is some some serious issues here because you know uh, what what did, you know what is the criteria being used to establish a person with a severe mental health um, uh, uh, problem? Uh, you can say a threat to themselves and threat to another, but if the guy is sitting somewhere acting crazy, you're not bothering nobody. Is that a threat to you? Is that a threat to others? Right. Is is a lot of interpretation, but more important, I, you know, and that's always the issue, you know, in addressing the issue of mental illness, uh, because people who have suffered from mental illness see themselves as as being correct and and and, and sane, and it's the other people. Who, who who seem to have the problem? They don't necessarily identify themselves having the problem, even though everyone else will say that based on their behavior and, and action and things of that nature. Uh, but but equally as important is that there's no structure in place. So you pick them up. What are you going to do? Uh, they're currently under 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 the system. You can do 72 hour observation, and if there's no snow, no. Uh, 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 clear signs, you send them back out to the street. But if there's no structure for care, housing, and care, you know, long-term stuff, then you just have a little revolving door. But I think the mayor is looking at something a little bit more. Uh, and, I, and maybe I'm reading into it, but I, but I think he wants to go back to the days of institutionalization and putting folks back in institutions. Uh, that was the case before the early 1960s. I think that I think you're probably right with that. I think that's the direction that he wants to go. But if that's the direction that he wants to go, he doesn't have things in place. I mean, I yeah, saw uh, I saw um, an interview by somebody, one of these administrators in a hospital instance, or or a doctor, who said, "Well, yeah, all this is all well and good, but you don't have the support behind it. You don't have." the affordable housing or, or housing for them. You don't have the doctors on staff. You don't have the beds. Yeah, there's a shortage of psychiatrists. There's, you know, there's not, there's not enough housing for people who don't have mentally yeah, ill. Yeah. You have about anywhere from sixty to 78,000 homeless people in New York City. And any given night, you got about 20,000 in shelters. That includes, a, you know, good, uh, 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 along with about 19,000 kids in shelter. So a good portion of the homeless population mm -hmm. uh, uh, includes children. 
And, you know, so you had adolescents with, with mental health concerns, whether it's depression, suicidal thoughts, things of this nature. And they, of that 60 to 78,000 people on the street, it's estimated that about, about half have some types of mental health problems. That's a huge number. Yeah, yeah. That's a very huge number. Uh, if we see the numbers with mental health concerns going up in the general population, you can surely bet those numbers are going up in the homeless population. Well, uh, I think the mayor took a big, uh, took on a very difficult topic. He did, but I, <clears throat> what I, what I like about about him, he's. Uh, he's aggressive enough to, to. It's almost like he's saying, "Like, okay, so I'm going to take these people off the street. Now you find a way to take care of the back part of it." But the you is him. I know. So it's not nobody else. I know. Yeah. So you know, if 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 he doesn't have the support of of the governor, and and Albany in terms of funding, and they're not going to fund uh, uh, all that money that's required for homeless people with mental health concerns because they don't, they don't fund regular people with mental health concerns adequately. So you can pretty safely say that that's not going to happen. Right. Uh, so I, I don't know how he's going to make dude, this yeah, work. Yeah, I, yeah it's, it sounds like an impossibility. But yeah. who knows? Maybe, maybe he has yeah. something else in, we, we, in plan. It's, it's maybe, not, he's gonna get, maybe he's going to get uh, private donations in order to get oh, this done. Private, the private sector never truly dealt with the issue of mental illness. There's no incentive. Uh, um, well, well, well. Well, I mean, I think the incentive is to get these people off the street, put them, you know, in a safe environment, get them off the street, and and try to help them. They've been in, they've been on the street for forty years, man. Yeah, 40, I, 50 years. I know this. I know this, and this is. Because yeah. I remember back in the fifties, they were not on the street. No, they were in the Bowery. Or they were in institutions like yeah. Creamore uh, uh, and, yeah. and places like well, that. They, they, you know, they closed those institutions. Yeah, yeah. You know, that was part of a, a, a plan to close the major institutions and open up smaller mental health. Uh, that stuff. was the Kennedys. Uh, yes, right. Kennedy yeah. came out with the Community Mental Health Act yeah. in the early 60s in his administration. And it's basically, you know, let's close these big institutions because, you know, Creedmoor so far, because they were uh, inhumane. Yeah. And, and we're going to open up these small community health so we can get the mentally ill, mentally challenged and integrate them back in the community. Well, the first part they did. They closed the big state institutions. And there were, you know, budget concerns, too. Uh, they had to cut somewhere. And, you know, uh, but they never did the second part. Yeah, yeah. That's part of the, then the housing crisis. You know, if you, if, if you are living on the street and you have susceptibility to depression or anxiety, you know, and before you moved on the street, you were able to have mechanisms of coping. So it really didn't show. But you, you get on the street and you have all these triggers now and, and the, the coping mechanisms that you had before when you were in some kind of structured environment no longer worked when you're in this unstructured environment, unpredictable environment of being homeless. 
you know, uh, it's, it's not a good situation. Uh, I look at these people on the street every day, man, and, and, and uh, unless the country makes a serious commitment uh, that everybody has certain rights and everybody's entitled to certain treatments, I don't know what they're going to do with this. Yeah. Mm. Well, we can spend the whole podcast okay, so on this, Larry. Yeah, easy, easy, yeah, easily. Yeah. yeah. But let's let's move on, folks. You know, today's podcast is about issues of social justice. And then we started off with the song by Roberta Flack, Trying Times. But we're talking about social justice from a global perspective around the world. And here's a piece that I really like. You Masakila the South African, the brother passed on with his music. And one of his best songs that I find really, really amazing addresses the issue of social justice. And it was done a while back, Stimula, and it's about the migrant mine workers in Southern Africa and South Africa. So listen to this. And Hear how he deals and express the issue of the migrant and South African mine workers. Stimulate, stimuli. You masakila. that comes from Namibia and Malawi. There's a train that comes from Zambia and Zimbabwe. There's a train that comes from Angola and Mozambique. From Lesotho, from Botswana, from Swaziland. From all the hinterlands of Southern and Central Africa, this train carries young and old African men who are conscripted to come and work on contract in the golden mineral mines of Johannesburg and its surrounding metropoli. 16 hours or more a day for almost no pay. Deep, deep, deep down in the belly of the earth when they are digging and drilling for that shiny, mighty, evasive stone or when they dish that mishmash mash food into their iron plates with the iron shovel. Or when they sit in their stinky, funky, filthy, flea-ridden barracks and hostels, they think about the loved ones they may never see again because they might already have been forcibly removed from where they last left them or wantonly murdered in the dead of night by roving and marauding gangs of no particular origin. We are told they think about their lands and their herds that were taken away from them with the gun and the bomb and the tear gas and the gatling and the cannon. And when they hear that choo-choo train, I chuck it and I pump it and I smoke it and I push it and I pump it, crying and I steaming and I chicken and I wah, wah. They always curse and they curse the coal train 
the gold train that brought them to Johannesburg. Sangela 
can feel yourself being on that train, man. You can feel that pain and despair. You must tequila, man. Stimuli. That's the first time I think I've heard that, man. I, I thought I've heard a lot of his music, but uh, that was wow. That is a song about social justice, man, and the pain and despair of those migrant workers. This was done in the 1990s, man. Uh, Pre-Mandela time. Mm-hmm. So, the it, based on what the, he's saying, it, these people came from other parts of Africa to 
to work in. They were migrant. Yeah, migrant work is the work the mines. Yeah. You know, the the apartheid regime. Uh, How did they get them? Did they, was it, was it constricted or was it? Uh, people had to work. Oh, okay. Yeah, so just like migrants travel, you know, yeah. to feed families and, and, you know, for all kinds of reasons. Uh, and they were like exploited like hell. Yeah, yeah, it sounds, it sounds like. Yeah. Uh, that was a, a big social justice issue with the, the the diamonds and boycotting the diamonds and the mines and then in the early uh, in the 1900s and I mean 1990s and and um, early 2000 with the South African regime because that that was a major source of its economic power. Yeah. Yeah. I I remember those protests and marches in front of the UN. But you, Masakila, my God, he can portray that that pain, man. And like, yeah, yeah. you can close your eyes, man. You visualize the train. Yeah, 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 yeah. Easily, yeah. Yeah, um, and uh, they ran him out of South Africa. He had to get out. Yeah, you know, and he was. Uh, uh, South Africa had a whole a whole bunch of jazz musicians. You know, jazz had its. And it, it's jazz in that part of Africa integrated into, uh, they took the American form and added their cultural flavor to it. Uh, but, but when they start issuing, you're talking about songs that address social, social justice concerns, man, this has to be up there in the, in the top of the list. Yeah, um, and Mary, his uh, his wife Miriam McCabe, they were married at one time. Yeah, they were they were they were married uh, uh, for a period of time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there was a, a group of South African musicians that was mainly in London and and, and in the states, jazz musicians and and uh, things of this nature. Uh, but Stimula. Uh, you must Akila. That's one of my favorite by him. Oh, that's beautiful. You know, and uh, he plays, man. You, you get that expression of pain and despair. But he's not the only one. Uh, the next guy we're going to play, man, um, also did a piece that you can feel the uh, pain and despair. And despair, despair. Donald Byrd. And he, 1964, man, you know, 64, brother, things were hop, hot and jumping yep. in this country. And he did a piece, he took an old spiritual and uh, did his version of it, man. And you, and you can feel this, the despair and the pain in that. And that sometimes I feel like a motherless child. Donald Byrd, let's, let's pay some attention and listen to this. And he has a strong lineup on this with Jimmy Heath, Stanley Tarantine, uh, Herbie Hancock, Kenny Burrell, Ron Carter, Bob Crenshaw. It's a strong lineup. Grady Tate was on it. He has some singers. So uh, Donald Byrd. And you know Donald Byrd is like you must have killed them two brothers can play that trumpet. Yes, so, that's for sure. That yeah. is for sure. So let's let's hear his 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 piece that that really addresses the issue of social justice by addressing the issue of pain and despair in the uh, African American community in 1960s, early 1960s. This was done in 1964. 
Wow, Donald Byrne, man. Uh, sometimes I feel like a motherless child. How'd you like that piece, Larry? Yeah, Donald Byrne is always good to listen to. Uh, you know, when um, when we used to go party, <laughs> we used to leave out uh, like from Cliff's house uh, with Cristo Redento. Uh, yeah, that's how we used to leave out on our way to party in the city, going up to Harlem. <laughs> so Donald Byrd has always been one of my favorite trumpet players. Yeah, well, since the beginning of the, since I began to listen to jazz, so he can do no wrong. That um, Crystal Redento album is similar to this uh, song, is that he you know he really skillfully integrate voices. Uh, into his pieces. Yes, yes. Uh, and and to do it with an old spiritual is is uh, is 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 quite a bit, you know. And you you can feel that's that song, you know, is is expressing that that pain and despair. And that was you know, nineteen sixties man, yeah, nineteen sixty three. That was some difficult times. Uh, not to say that this is still not difficult times, but that was uh, uh, Donald Byrd, man. Yeah, I hear you, man. Yeah, this is, uh, I just think uh, I think like he was teaching at Howard at some point. Uh, yeah, and, and at, even at Brooklyn College, it's, it's Doctor Donald Byrd. Byrd, Doctor Donald Byrd. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he has a doctorate in music. He yeah, had, he was at Brooklyn College for a while. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, then, uh, then he formed the group, the Blackbirds. Yeah. Oh, and, that's a, that's oh that that that's a great yeah. group too. And uh, you know, he 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 took the jazz into a very creative expression by integrating um, beats for much more popular music in in uh, traditional jazz. <coughs> truly, a creative artist, man. But uh, during the same time, man. In September 15th, 1963, there was a bombing in Alabama where four young African-American girls were killed. And you remember the, the bombing at the uh, 16th Street Baptist Church. Mm -hmm. And the four young girls was killed since 1963. That was in September. A month later, October, at Birdland, uh, John Coltrane was playing. And John Coltrane, you know, during that month time, uh, wrote a song called Alabama. And it was about that bombing. Uh, and it was really his cry for social justice. And this was 1963. So this is 1963, John Coltrane and, at Birdland in New York City when he played for the very first time that piece, Alabama, that was a cry for social justice for those four young black children that was killed in the bombing at 16th Street Baptist Church. Listen and enjoy.
John Coltrane on tennis sax, uh, Elvin Jones on drums, McCoy Tyner on piano, Jimmy Garrison on the bass, recorded uh, at Birdland, New York City, October 18th, 1963, three weeks after the bombing of the uh, 16th Street Baptist Church in Alabama, in which four young black young girls were killed. Uh, and this was a response to that. And you can hear that cry for justice. I think when you know the, the story of, 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 of the music, it becomes much more deeper. Uh, how'd you like that piece, Larry? Yeah, that was, uh, you know, that's trained, man. And I trained the, the, that was so sorrowful that, you know, you can feel it. You yeah. Can, you can feel yeah. like the sorrow that's in, in, yeah. in his playing. And, oh, man, it just touched me the way that. Yeah, that, that song went. Um, you know, Train is a spiritual guy anyway. You know, near near the end of his career. Yeah, and, and that comes clearly through there. You know, you can feel like, you know, the sorrow that yeah. was involved with that. You, you know, these just when when you look at songs that that musicians, jazz musicians, did like the songs we're playing that rotates around issues of social justice, they seem to find a way. <coughs> to express the human emotion in their music. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he clearly did that here. Uh, you always said that. I mean, that's a great crew right there. You know, oh, that it, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, when after John Coltrane died, uh, some of his uh, uh, crew was destroyed, especially Jimmy Garrison. Oh, yeah. Now, uh, the, and, and they really had difficulty functioning in, in musically yeah. uh, after, after the, that. Uh, but I went to a concert a few weeks after he died, the first concert done by Alice Coltrane. After the death of John Coltrane, I forgot where it was, but I went with Tiny. You remember Tiny? Yes, Tiny's sir. a friend of ours, folks, who uh, we called him Tiny because he was about 6'3" close to 300 pounds. He's 6'7", man. <laughs> oh, 6'7". Six six seven, seven, yeah. yeah, well, maybe that's right, 6'7". Yeah, yeah, he was 6'7". Yeah, and yeah. 300 pounds is right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, hey, that that nickname is appropriate. Tiny. Yeah, tiny, yeah. And anyway, when we went to this concert, Jimmy Garrison played, came in and did a guest appearance. Wow. And he did a fabulous solo. Uh, and this is with Alice Coltrane and her group. So I... I, I uh, I have that memory stored deep inside me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, folks, we're playing songs, uh, jazz pieces that, that 
that uh, expressed issues of social justice. And, and, you know, when you talk about the 60s and songs that, that dealt with, with issues of social justice or, or, or being black, uh, because so much of, of, of the social justice issues in this country is around issues of being black. Um, you have to include this lady. And she she was bold. She just came out and said it. Lena Simone. Uh, to be young, gifted, and black. 1969, this is a, a, a recording of her at Morehouse College uh, in 1969, where she performed To Be Young, Gifted, and Black. Enjoy. Recently, there was an article in the New York Times on Lorraine Hansberry and a play downtown off Broadway called To Be Young, Gifted, and Black, produced by her. And um, there was a picture of her there. And it was a picture that I have seen many times before. But photography, as you know, has its own way of communicating, just its own mediums do. And all I can tell you is that th this picture caught hold of me. And in her eyes, this will sound very strange, but not to people who are really hip. Um, she kept trying to tell me something. I was sitting, sitting on the bed. And I, I remember distinctly saying, I would keep looking at the picture and keep looking at the picture. And, and of course, the memory of being with her many times kept coming, flooding back in my memory. But I said, and I remember, inspiration is a very strange thing. Sometimes it just happens like a light. And I remember getting, uh, a feeling in, in my body. And I said, that's it. To be young, gifted, and black, that's all. And sat down at the piano at that moment and made up a tune. It, and it just flowed out of me. I knew what I wanted it to say in essence, but I couldn't get the words together. So I called up my musical director and told him what was on my mind, explained to him a little bit about Lorraine Hansberry because he didn't know her. And he captured the mood, and the song was born less than two days later. And um, that's been less than a month ago. So I really think that she gave it to me. That's what I mean when I say that. To be young, gifted, and black. Oh, what a Must begin to tell 
Wow, Nina Simone, man, to be young, gifted, and black. You know, I I, I think back, and when, I remember when this was, was song was out, I, I thought it was powerful. <coughs> um, but I didn't realize the extent of its impact. I think of it today where the absence of that song and songs like that, and I, and I see the amount of black-on-black violence. And I'm not saying that, that that is caused by the absence of it, but I'm sure it's a factor. Uh, but, uh, <coughs> you know, in the, in the first part of this, she, she tells you where she got the title. That was uh, a play on Broadway, Lorraine Hansberry, who yes. wrote A Raisin in the Sun. Yep. Uh, that's where she uh, picked up that title. Uh, and they were at Morehouse, man. And uh, you see the reception she got. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. I saw her one time at Hunter College mm. um, when I, my first year at, at Hunter. She was something else. I mean, she's a, yeah. you know, something else on the, on the stage. Yeah. She doesn't take crap from anybody. Yeah. You know. Her audience, you don't take crap from her audience, you don't take crap from no, no one. No, no. And and during that time in the sixties, mm. man, that's that's where black performers performed mainly at colleges, man. Yeah, they made yeah. the college tour. And you had all these black associations and involvement in student government that went out and brought them in. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and not only the performance performance, but other uh, uh key figures like Muhammad Ali, uh and, and other folks was, was quite frequent at colleges. So that's uh, Nina Simone, to be young, gifted, and black. And maybe we need to bring that theme back. All right, man, it's, it's, it's almost that time, man. I got time for one more song. So I'm, I'm going to bring up uh, Oscar Peterson. And his, his theme song in jazz is called uh, Hymn to Freedom, in which he did uh, as a theme song around the civil rights movement. And so this piece has Oscar Peterson playing with another piano player called Oliver Jones. And they're playing his classic song, Hymn to Freedom. So uh, sit back and enjoy this last song on jazz issues, jazz songs that deal with social justice.
Wow, that's uh, Oliver Jones and uh, Oscar Peterson on Oscar Peterson famous classic piece called Hymn to Freedom. How'd you like that, Larry? Oh, that was great. And uh, thinking about international, Oscar Peterson is a Canadian. Absolutely, you know? yeah. And he's one of the great, greatest pianists, jazz pianists that I can think of. And the fact that uh, I've never heard of Oliver Jones before. I've never heard him before. But I think with him playing against uh, Peterson, it brought up his level. You know, one great person can bring another great person, bring another great person up mm-hmm. to a, a different level. And, and I'm, I'm making an assumption by that because I haven't heard him play before. So he might be at the same level he's always been at. Yeah. But I always think of Peterson is going to bring you to. Yeah. You want to do your very best. You would not want to do no less than your very best. Yeah, yeah. And, and the fact that, you know, and as I was uh, listening to it, I thought of a gospel song, you know, and it is a hymn. Yeah, you know, it, it has it is, that gospel beat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it has that gospel beat. And uh, it was, it was re- you know, refreshing yeah. in, in, in yeah. terms of that. Yeah, well, you know, it was his tribute to the uh, civil rights movements uh-huh. in the 60s. Uh, and it's interesting that it was a piano duet, and you know when he they did when this was first done, they were they were up there in age, but they were great. I agree with you, yeah. man. Absolutely yeah. great. Well, Larry, man, hey, it's that time, man. Uh, this podcast on songs that address issues of social justice. Well, you know there were so many songs we could have chosen, but uh, we. Pl- Played a few. Well, I think uh, we played some good ones. I think I think he played uh, really good ones. I mean, like they're really uh, inspiring. Good. You know, um, uh, Nina. You know, Young Gibson and Black. I remember that. You know, like oh in, yeah. I remember like when in the '60s when that came out, and uh, you know, we were just changing from Negro yeah. to Black. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And then you know, and our parents not liking what we were doing in terms of. Oh yeah, uh, calling ourselves black versus Negro, yeah, uh, or colored. Um, so uh, it was good. It's good. Good listening to stuff yeah. from back then. Oh yeah, uh, and and it, and it still has the same effect. You know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Same and effect that you, it had you, back then. You got to go back to realize mm. how much you have, uh, how much things have gotten better, and how much things need to get better. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. You, you know that's see that's a positive. That's what you just said there is positive. Yeah. You know how things have gotten better and how things need to get better. Yeah. You know if you, you know it's it's like yeah. we're here, what we need to get here. But this is what we need to do to get here instead of going back there and saying, well, that this was bad. No, let's go forward and and this is what we need to do. Uh, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You got to use the the past as as a measuring tool. Yeah, you don't forget the past. Stepping stone for yeah, you don't forget you, it. You incorporate it. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah lessons. Yeah. yeah. Well, Larry, man, I really enjoyed you being here. I enjoyed being here, Al. That's great, man. Yeah. I, and and you folks out there, uh, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. We enjoyed doing it, and uh, what can I tell you, man? It's it's been a blast. And so, until the next time, as always, peace and love. Pretty baby, you are the soul who snaps my control. 
such a funny thing, but every time you're near me, I never can behave. You give me a smile and then I'm wrapped up in your magic. There's music all around me, crazy music, music that keeps calling me so very close to you, turns me your slave. Come and do with me any little thing you want to, anything, baby, just let me get next to you. Am I insane or do I really see heaven in your eyes? Bright as stars that shine up above you in the clear blue skies. How I worry about you, just can't live my life without you. Baby, come here, don't have no fear. Oh, is there a wonder why I'm really feeling in the mood for love? So tell me why start to think about this weather, my dear. This little dream might fade away. There I go talking out of my head again. Oh, baby, won't you come and put our two hearts together? That would make me strong and breathe. Ooh, when we are one, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. Go on and let it rain I'm sure our love together will endure a hurricane Oh my baby Won't you please let me love you And give me relief from this awful misery Come on in, man, and you can blow now if you want to. We're through. 